This is Perspectives, the show where a conversation about our differences will often show us what we have in common. I'm Condis Presley. The first week of 2021 is behind us, and midweek marked one of the darkest days in American history. A mob of President Trump supporters forced entry into the United States Capitol, breaking windows, ransacking offices, and taking Speaker Pelosi's podium. In the melee, five lives were lost. Now, as of this moment, federal agents continue to identify suspects via social media, and they're making arrests. The president's Twitter account has been suspended permanently. He's also been banned from other social media platforms, including Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube. Amazon has pulled the app Parler from its web hosting platform, and Apple and Google will likely pull the Parler app from the App Store and Google Play. What impact did the week's events have on the conversations in your circle of friends? What do you say to your children or to your coworkers, if anything? I've put those questions to a psychologist, and later in the program, we'll talk to a newly elected Georgia representative who was there during the lockdown. And later, I'm talking with Pastor William Flippin Sr. about the role the black church played in the election of the Reverend Raphael Warnock to the United States Senate. Yes, much has happened in the first week of 2021. We begin with clinical psychologist, Dr. Rosalind Pitts-Clark. Dr. Clark, did you see any of the coverage of what happened at the U.S. Capitol yesterday? I was glued to the television um, from about three o'clock on. That's all that was on. And we were so focused on what was happening and what were going to be the next steps. What was your reaction to it? Shock, horror, confusion, and fear. Quite honestly, fear. And quite a bit of anxiety as we move toward the inauguration and the peaceful transfer of power, wondering is that going to happen and what that's going to look like as this new administration prepares to take office. As you were glued to the television, kids were glued to the televisions as well. How do we have this conversation about what they saw Well, I think first you have to look at the child's age. Um, If your child is very young, I would actually guide them away from the television at this particular time. If your child is of school age, let's say fourth grade and higher, now is the time to have some really clear conversations about family values around conflict and conflict resolution. How do we in our family resolve conflict? We use words, we use open discussion. We do not resort to violence. We do not resort to vandalism in order to get our point across. And I think it's a great teaching tool so that our children will begin to understand how to resolve conflict at home and outside of the home so that they are prepared to be good citizens in the country. But what if those kids who are of age say, yeah, mom, that's not what happened when there was a Black Lives Matter protest in Washington last summer? Great point. My husband and I talked about that extensively yesterday. And now is the time to talk about how oftentimes in America, there are two sets of rules, why those two sets of rules are happening, and how do we get to a point where everyone is treated fairly and equally, no matter what their race or ethnic background. So that is a good starting point, a good jump off point to have a conversation about race, about equity, about equality in America, and how we are still trying desperately to work toward those goals and ideals. Do those same guidelines apply to conversations with other adults or even your coworkers? 
it's a little bit touchy with coworkers in a work setting. Honestly, I would advise people to avoid those conversations in the workplace. Um, keep them very neutral, keep them very polite, simply because you don't know who holds what political ideations or political views in the workplace. The last thing that you want to happen is to justify, is to, um, is to put your livelihood in jeopardy because of a conversation with regard to politics and the events over the past few weeks. So I say, please keep it very neutral, keep it very polite, keep it very cordial. Um, because remember, everyone in the workplace, they're not your family, they're not your best buds, and you have to be very careful in that space. But when it comes to our kids, your final thought is what? Well, really know who your child is, know your audience. If your child is already anxious, I would shy them away from this um, particular set of events. There's no need for them to be engaged at this particular point. But if your child is watching, they are asking questions and you ask questions of them, this can be a dynamic teaching tool to give them the right strategies so that they can be effective peacemakers and they can be effective in conflict resolution going forward. We have a great example of what not to do. Now as parents, we need to be the example of what to do and how to move forward in this space. Dr. Rosalind Pitts-Clark, we want to say thank you very much. Always a pleasure. On Wednesday, January 6th, Congress met in joint session to count and to certify the electoral college votes from the December election. 13 Republican senators, 140 GOP representatives planned to contest the count. Lawmakers had to run for safety when a mob breached security and forced entry onto both the House and Senate floor, as well as into many congressional offices. One lawmaker hiding in an undisclosed location was Georgia's newly elected 5th District Representative Nikema Williams, who found time to talk to me late Wednesday night. First, Congresswoman Williams, how are you? Are you okay? I am. It's been a really tense day, Congress, but I am safe. I assume I we have started back proceedings in the Senate and I am waiting to figure out what time we're going to reconvene on the House. Can you describe for us what happened today and and how you were impacted? So today was the day that constitutionally the United States Congress has a joint convening of the House and the Senate to count our electoral college votes. And I was preparing and going through my remarks because Georgia was one of the three contested states. And so my very first time speaking on the floor of the United States House of Representatives was going to be defending the 16 electoral college votes from Georgia and defending um, the voters who turned out to vote in this election. Over 2 million voters, 2,473,633 voters who voted for Joe Biden. And I was preparing myself for that moment. And we had been told because of social distancing that we, there were certain times when we should enter the chamber. And I was supposed to go down when the debate ended for Arizona. And as I got everything ready, as they were talking and debating, um, my chief of staff said, they just, why did they just take the speaker out of the chamber? And I didn't quite understand what was going on. I is somebody at this door? Maybe not. I'm still a little antsy if I hear noises, so sorry. Um, but then we realized that everybody was being ushered out of the chamber, and I didn't quite understand what was going on until I saw some accounts on Twitter that the Capitol security had been compromised. 
And I still didn't understand the extent of it until a group text that I'm in with some other members, um, people were saying that they had moved to an undisclosed location inside of the Capitol and that everybody should shelter in place. And I start, then I started to get the security update that we should um, go to our safety location. And it was um, pretty intense. I could hear the noise and the chaos, but couldn't really make out anything that was going on. But from where I was, where I was, I could hear the noise. I could hear sirens. And we just recently, um, I guess, 645, we got another alert that even the location, even though the Capitol had been cleared, the location that I was in had still not been cleared. So it has been, it's been an intense day. Never did I imagine that the peaceful transfer of power would truly be in jeopardy in the United States of America. So while you heard noises and commotion, you did not see any of the demonstrators who breached security at the Capitol. I did not. On my way in this morning, I saw the crowds beginning to gather and I came directly into the building to avoid them because I was told that once we got inside the building, we were secured and we were safe. And that just did not turn out to be the case today. Is there any scenario where you would expect that those intruders would not only get through the barricades? Well, they're not intruders. Those were domestic terrorists. Let's be clear. There, there's a, a big difference. Like, they were armed. They broke their way through barricades. They broke glass to get inside of the United States Capitol. They went into the Speaker of the House's office and left a note on her desk, put their feet up on the desk, took selfies, took items outside of the Capitol. This was domestic terrorism. So what's going to happen to these people next? I mean, has anybody been arrested? What happens next, do you know? I have not seen any arrests, which is mind-boggling that we saw this act, this attack on the United States Capitol, where we were moving forward with the counting of the Electoral College votes. The vice president was in the building. The President, the vice president-elect was in the building, and no one, I have not seen any counts of people getting arrested. And I thought back to me standing with my constituents in the Georgia State Capitol, and I was arrested during a peaceful protest as a Georgia State senator, but yet we have domestic terrorists storming the United States Capitol, and I have not seen arrests. I have not heard of any accounts. I saw people, I saw calls for them to leave the Capitol and walking them down the stairs. Do you think that that would have been the situation had there been any other type of protest or demonstration at the Capitol? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. But this is what our president has incited. This is what he has allowed. This is what his supporters have upheld for the past four years. You have colleagues who are calling for the president to be impeached, even though there's only two weeks left in his term and are drawing up the articles, including a newly elected Georgia congresswoman. Uh, what are your thoughts on that? It needs to happen. 14 days is a long time. We still have two weeks before the inauguration of Joe Biden. And after what I saw today, we need to get him out of office to keep our country safe, to hold tight our democracy, which today we saw was is very fragile. 
So if the speaker were to bring something like that to the floor of the House, you would vote for it? Absolutely. And in other news, the state was called for John Ossoff. So Georgia has delivered two Democratic senators to the United States Senate. Who will be your colleagues? I know you told me yesterday you were excited about working with Reverend Warnock. I would imagine you feel the same way about Senator-elect John Ossoff. Absolutely. John is my homie. He's my friend. And I cannot wait for them to get to Washington, D.C. so that we can get to work on behalf of Georgia Georgians. Like, people are still hurting. The pandemic is still raging. We see how fragile our democracy is. We need to get to work to pass the John Lewis Voting Rights Act. And it's been held up for far too long in the U.S. Senate. And now we can actually move forward with securing everyone's right to vote in this country, getting our children back to school safely, getting our economy back on track, and getting people the help that they need who are hurting from this pandemic. But they can't get started until our election is actually certified. When do we expect they might be sworn in? I have not heard when the elections are going to be certified. I am not certain. But I know that David Perdue's term ended on Sunday, January 3rd. Um, So we are without a U.S. senator there. And I am not sure as soon as we can get the election certified, um, both candidates are out of the margin of a recount. So I am hoping that we can move forward swiftly and get a full delegation here in Washington to represent Georgia. Congresswoman Williams, what do you want your constituents in Metro Atlanta to know about what we expect to happen next? I am here on behalf of you to be your voice. What happened today should have never happened. I see that Twitter has suspended Donald Trump's account. It should have been done a long time ago. And I will continue to make sure that I am speaking up on your behalf. I am going to vote at some point tonight, whether there's an objection or not. And if I have to speak or not, I will be here to make sure that the votes that they cast in this election are upheld and that we move forward with a peaceful transfer of power in this country. And it's been intense. I saw that some there was some action down in Atlanta. Be safe, look out for each other, and we'll get through this together. In light of what has happened today, do you think that the Republicans who were going to object to the certification of the Electoral College vote will now stand down and make this the uneventful event it has been for more than 200 years? Well, I think it's a little too late to make it an uneventful event because today has been is going to go down in history. But I do call on my colleagues who... Um, filed the objection to that they were complicit in what happened today. And so they should absolutely stand down and let us move forward with the peaceful transfer of power. As she said, lawmakers did return to that joint session. And sometime around 3 a.m., the vice president certified Joe Biden's election as the 46th president of the United States. When Joseph R. Biden Jr. takes the oath of office on January 20th, his party not only will hold the White House and a majority in the House of Representatives, but also the United States Senate. Georgia voters unseated a pair of incumbent Republicans, Kelly Loeffler and David Perdue. This state will be represented by two Democrats for the first time since the 1990s. Black voters did that. Black voters pulled the Biden campaign off life support during the primaries. Black voters delivered the state of Georgia for the first time since Bill Clinton won in 1992. And last week, black voters, mobilized by the black church, voted to elect Georgia's first black senator in the Reverend Raphael Warnock and Georgia's first Jewish senator in John Ossoff.
Joining me now is the Reverend William Flippin Sr. He is the visionary pastor of Atlanta's Piney Grove Baptist Church. Dr. Flippin, what impact did the church have in motivating African-American voters to participate in Tuesday's runoff? First of all, let me thank you for this opportunity to share with you on the, uh, the day that we celebrate what, what history was made on last evening with the election of uh, Senator-elect Warnock. Uh, and of course, we are waiting to just get the good news about our next senator, also Senator Ossoff. But I kind of to answer question, answer question, the Black church was born out of protest when we were told or made to go to church as slaves, we uh, had to stand outside, look in the window, or had to stand in the back or be in the balcony. And the protest of the fact is that they were preaching a Christ that loved everybody and they were not feeling very loved. And so even if they went to the church of the slave master, the slave owner, at night, they would steal away. They would go to what they would call orchards or arbors or by the creek where they would have their own worship service that would bless them. And it was in those services that the slave preacher would refute what the white preacher was saying by saying, God made us to be free. Remember the children of Israel that were in bondage and that God would send them Moses. So they never ever were passive and just feel like uh, they were being treated as a human, as a God creature. Uh, uh, and so they began to start their own little brush harbors and their own orchard. That's why now you hear churches called Chestnut Grove, Piney Grove, those kind of things. And so they would start their churches. And so when we were emancipated, Condes, most African-Americans, almost all decided to go and start their own churches. Most churches right here in Atlanta are 150 years old. They were because they, they started their own church right out, of, right out of slavery. So it was born out of protest. We never felt welcomed in the church of the other culture. Much of the advertising directed at Senator-elect Warnock was negative and also attacked the church. Did that energize voters? I think so. I think so. You know, even people who don't go to church regularly love the church because most of us were raised to do Easter speeches, Christmas pageants, sung in the junior choir, on the usher board, what have you. And so the church is in us that we love it. We love uh, the gathering of God's people. And of course, even today, not as much. Sometimes the church is the only place African-Americans can feel some worth. That's why, you know, uh, you probably grew up in a church, and I might be off script here, where you always have a deacon walking around with 500 keys on his keychain. He knew he could open every door, you know. But here was a person that was a laborer through the week, but when we come to church and he's deacon somebody, a mother somebody. So the point I'm making to answer your question is that, yes, it did affect those of us who are in the Black church uh, to criticize our voice and our liberation message uh, because we do preach a liberation message. And, and Condes is unfortunate in some of our churches, they want us to be uh, European. They want us not to preach liberty and voter registration. And sometimes when you go to the other churches, they don't ever mention voter registration, scholarships, and we don't feel comfortable. And uh, because our people need that empowerment. And so 
Yes, it did affect us and it caused us to answer the question, are we just meeting on Sunday to meet or are we liberating people? And so I applaud you for sermons. Senator-elect Reverend Warnock says he's gonna to continue to preach on Sunday at Ebenezer. Is he gonna be able to do that so that he can stay connected to the community? Well, of course, you know, uh, it's gonna be a challenge. It will be something he has to deliberately do, but he does have, he has uh, uh, persons like uh, Representative Cleaver, Representative uh, Flakes in, in New York was a representative. Dr. Adam Clayton Powell, pastor of the Abyssinia Baptist Church in Harlem, where Dr. Warnock worshiped as a student in New York. So it can be done. You just have to have an understanding congregation that you may not be able to do a funeral on Wednesday or may not be there all the time, but he does have a wonderful staff and I'm sure the members will be taken care of, but I believe he will do just that. He'll come back to Ebenezer on the weekends. Dr. Flippin, final question. Can you talk to us a little bit about the significance of Reverend Warnock's election? Uh, Morehouse oh man from Savannah, pastor of Ebenezer Baptist Church, uh, being elected to the United States Senate from the Deep South. I mean, that is absolutely amazing. It is amazing. Young man, the 11th child of 12 children living in a housing project, but had the desire to come to Atlanta and go to Morehouse because that's where Dr. King went. And he didn't even know how he was gonna pay when he came to Atlanta. And he excelled in Morehouse and then went on to get his master's and PhD. I think what it sends a signal to us just as the election of Barack Obama, no matter where you're from or your background, in this country, if you work hard and uh, be honest and studious, you can achieve anything that you want to in life. And so it is a wonderful, wonderful example, not only to young people, but to all of us, if we have not reached the goal. Dr. May said, you know, a low aim is a sin. And I think his election says to us, you can make it, no excuses. You can be what God has called you to be. Dr. William Flippin, Sr., pastor of Greater Piney Grove Baptist Church, we thank you very much. I appreciate you so much. Have a good, good day. A heavy start to the show this week, but I'm going to flip the script and lighten it up. I know many of us are still working from home. There's no need to let yourself go. Coming up next, we'll talk to an expert on how to look your best on all these video calls. I don't think you're going to like what I'm to say about the Zoom and the video conference life. A lot of times I've heard stories from HR professionals who have been interviewing people on Zoom and Amazon rings at that person's doorbell and they stand up and some people have told me they've seen body parts that we shouldn't see on camera or pajama pants. So I think there's a balance of comfort, but also putting on real clothes. This is Perspectives. Perspectives is a community and public affairs program crafted with you in mind. If there's a guest you'd like to hear interviewed or a perspective you think should be explored, let me know. If you're old school, just write me. 1601 West Peachtree Street, Northeast, Atlanta, Georgia, 30309. Or message me via social media. I'm Condos Presley on Facebook, Condo29 on Twitter and Instagram. Thanks for listening. Be sure to listen again next week at this very same time as we examine another perspective. Without the ones like you who work tirelessly to keep things running, everything would suddenly stop. Hospitals, factories, schools, and power plants, they all depend on you. 
No matter the weather, emergency, or time of day, you're the ones who get it done. At Granger, we're here for you with professional-grade industrial supplies. Count on real-time product availability and fast delivery. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done.